Alright, so I'm uh, Kenny Williams with Street Cop Training. I'm going to play the role of Dennis today and do a podcast with a gentleman that attended my class about nine months ago, six months ago, something like that. And uh, yeah, something around there. Um, I'll let him introduce himself and then we'll talk about the incident that he uh, found himself in after my class. And we'll talk a little bit about that. And then I'll kind of sit back and let you do your thing, man. So for the time being, I'm just going to refer, be referred to by a first name. I'm Tyler. I work for a uh, sheriff's office down in Florida. Um, I've been a cop for actually, as of today, two years, nine months and 20 days. <laughs> and uh, I, I pretty much work on patrol for now. Um, and I recently found myself on a um, grant funded interdiction task force that I do on my days off. So. It's kind of about the extent of my law enforcement experience. Um, so before you had, uh, before you got hired as an actual, do you have any type of experience before the two years, nine months, and twenty days? <laughs> it's, it's a little specific. I know we were talking about earlier. Um, yeah, I worked in corrections before this for a year and a half. Um, basically incarcerated for a year and a half. Really, really was not fun. So, kind of got so into until, it quickly. Yeah. So until we get about four years of law enforcement experience total. Yep, just about. And then all with the same agency? No. So my corrections experience was with another county. Um, and then when I left there, I I just wasn't a fan of the admin of the county that I worked at originally. So I moved over to this other agency and admins, awesome, super supportive, back us all day long. So very proud. So your agency a lot? Yeah, that's awesome. So your agency is encouraging or allows you to be proactive. Oh yeah, I'm absolutely. I mean, uh, my sergeant, like like I was saying, my sergeant's uh, very uh, likes the proactivity, likes the the stats, likes to see us out doing things. So um, it, on the days that we're kind of maybe just not feeling it and we're hanging out at the office a little more than usual, he will absolutely roast us for it. <laughs> I mean, he he does not allow it, so it's great. Yeah. But that that's the kind of boss that you know all of us want to work for. I, I couldn't I couldn't hope for anyone anything better. I mean, I got really lucky with my first actual agency on the road. Um, I mean, my sheriff is is supportive, so it's pretty good. It's pretty good. That's awesome. That's that's great to have that you don't have that extra needed or extra unwanted stress in the background of just going out there being the police and doing what you want to do and yeah. have to worry about am I going to piss my administration off and stuff. That's a so it's, yeah. it's a very uh, secure feeling, I guess. Yeah, it is. It, it really is. I mean, we're great. We're, we're not out chasing cars 24 seven or anything like that. I mean, there's some counties in Florida that do that, but that's not really us. But as long as you can follow policy where we're at, you're, you're pretty set. I mean, they're not going to come after you for too much. That's awesome. All right. So let's, if you could talk a little bit about the, the size of your department and the um, area, maybe population, something in just big terms, um, just to kind of give that, the audience an idea of so we're a pretty large agency, um, and we're on the East Coast. Uh, our agency, I believe, is just over somewhere in the realm of about 1,500 or, or so people between our corrections, because we run the jail at my county, and we also run the road. So we are, I think, about 1,500 or more um, total. And so, then, so how, how many, like, uh, 
on a given shift? Do you work eights? Do you work twelves? Do you work tens? So we work a an eighty hour shift or eighty hour week um, is our pay period. So we'll work twelves for the most part, and then one day uh, of our paycheck we'll work an eight, so that we flex that day down to a to a fifty eighty hours. I got you. And then, um, what is your like minimum staffing? If you can approximately like, and how many beats do you have? How many guys at the beat? That kind of stuff. Um. I, I don't, I'm not sure how many we have like throughout like the whole county, but the zone that I work, um, kind of one of our smaller zones. But I think we work with about five patrol on a normal day. And then you add in there, we have a corporal, a sergeant, a lieutenant, and then one to two canines that are designated to the zone I work. So we've got like 10 people in any given day in my small zone. So we're pretty, we're pretty overstaffed. We're pretty heavily staffed. It's, it's nice. Again, it's a good feeling though. Yeah. And then call volume wise, are you guys like humping it from call to call to call? Or you guys kind of have a lot of freedom in between calls? It depends on what zone you're in. In my zone, um, we don't get a lot of calls. And most of the calls we do get are um we we mostly what we call is CAD them out. We can put CAD comments in and close. We don't have to write case reports or anything like that. So we can go and uh maybe it's a neighbor dispute or maybe it's some civil issue or maybe you have a fraud or something like that, but for the most part we're not taking, you know, five, 10 case reports a day in our zone. I mean, three case reports a day across five deputies is, is maybe the average. And that's still kind of on the heavy call volume side. So our proactivity is, is we're, I mean, we're proactive almost 12 hours a day. Uh, in that's, my zone. Awesome. that's pretty nice. Yeah. That's awesome. All right. So um, we'll kind of let you lead into it and going up to this incident that, that day specifically, um, were you on patrol or were you doing that part-time interdiction thing that you mentioned? I was doing the part-time interdiction. Um, so it was actually my normal scheduled day off. Um, so we were working I-95 on the south end of the county. Um, sorry, one second. Mm-hmm. So we were working on the south end of the county. And um, what wound up kind of happening was I, I had run a few, a few traffic stops on the way through, like throughout the day. Um, we started, I think at about 9am and the traffic stop that kind of started my, my uh, critical incident was at about one, one o'clock in the afternoon, one, one thirty something like that. But so I'd done a traffic stop and I was actually getting ready to turn around and go back down towards the South end. Um, I was a little, I was a little North of, uh, everybody else that I was working with on the unit. Uh, it was probably about five miles North of everyone. Maybe. Sorry. Good. No, no. So when you're out there working this specific uh, assignment, how many, uh, other cops are out there with you? I think that day we had five patrol guys. Um, and then, two canines um, okay. and we had one federal agent from border patrol out with us. So okay. we, we weren't crazy overstacked. Typically what we want is two people per car, um, but staffing issues kind of gets in the way of that. So most of the time we're, we're one to a car, but we, we typically back each other up. If we hear somebody getting on a stop, you know, we go to them. Um, the people that work it, we work it together. We've worked it with each other. We can tell, <clears throat> we can tell when something's kind of weird 
uh, when somebody keys up on the radio and says something that's a little bit off normal for them, these are the people we always work with. So we're like, eh, it sounds weird. Um, so stuff like that. I kind of, this, this stops actually turned into this was kind of um, a lot of the flags that you and I talked about in your class, you know, a lot of things you taught about. Um, but I also kind of broke the mold a little bit. It was, it was not the, it wasn't the typical car that we talk about stopping, you know, it wasn't the 2020 Nissan versus and stuff like that. Um, anybody who's familiar with the incident will, will know, I think from some of the pictures and stuff that are out there on the internet. Um, it was a 2010 ish, um, silver Impala with dark window tint, you know, I mean, it was, sorry, when you, so, but beyond, beyond the car itself, did it, did you, so I'm assuming it gave some type of reaction to you. Yeah. Okay. So, that's kind of what you were hitting on that a little bit ago. Okay. Yep. So uh, that the car, the car being older, um, with the dark window tint and stuff like that, it kind of broke the mold. Cause what we, what we talked about, um, in your class and in Dennis's class, <coughs> sorry, I'm like, losing my voice. <laughs> uh, we talked about the cars that blend in. Well, this car actually didn't blend in so much, but when I first saw them, they were in the left lane going southbound. So they were in the fast lane and I had them on radar at about 75 ish miles an hour, nothing. They weren't going too fast. They were just kind of, they were just kind of there. Well, I flipped around behind them and they had a bit of broken taillight and they slowed down to the, somewhere in the sixties. I was pacing them in the sixties at that point. What is uh, this? What is the speed limit there? 70. 70. So they had gone below the speed limit. And then they moved, I followed them for maybe about half a mile and they moved from the middle lane to the, or from the left lane to the middle lane. So I followed behind them into the middle lane. Um, as we approached the exit that they wound up taking, um, about maybe 10 to 15 seconds before the exit, they kind of changed lanes and then took the exit, which put me in a weird bind of, I have to change lanes quickly and take this exit. And for anyone from Florida that knows I like I-95 traffic is a nightmare. 24 seven. There's, there's no time. There's not a ton of traffic. So to make the exit was kind of close, which was just another humongous red flag for me. Like you're slowed down, you're changing lanes. You don't want me behind you bad enough that you're willing to try to get me stuck on the interstate so you can get off. So I saw a lot of weird things there. Um, So even as a young officer with say three years, I'm just general patrol. Those things are automatically you're thinking about as that's a, that's yeah. pretty, uh, that's awesome. But especially for a young officer like yourself, that's to see all that stuff and to start realizing like, this is not making a lot of sense. Yeah. I was just going to say my, my thought process there was, why are you trying this hard to get away from me? And, and mind you, I know Dennis harps on don't run tags, you know, tags, tags. I ran the tag and, and the car didn't belong there either. The car belonged actually like 40 minutes North of where it was. So I was like, yeah you're, you're farther away from where you belong and you're driving this way. There's a lot of, there's a lot going on there. That's kind of like, to me, I've got red flags. I mean, the hairs on my neck were standing up, I guess. Like, almost, almost, almost immediately. Like, I mean, yeah. like right when they exited, you're already. Yeah. So I called out the stop on the exit. Um, and I, so I called out the traffic stop in the location on the radio. I told them, Hey, I'm making the stop here and here. And I immediately asked for another deputy. I, okay. I, I felt weird enough about it that I was like, I'm making my stop here and here. Let me get another unit. 
So I wanted somebody already headed to me for a couple of reasons. One, I knew I was really far north of everyone. So if it did turn out to be a good stop or it turned out that I did need somebody, it's going to take them 10 minutes to get to me, give or take. Maybe. What is tra- you said traffic was pretty crazy. Like, I mean, I'm just getting, it's, it's three lanes across. Yep. And then like, is it, I mean, give me an idea of like the traffic flow. So you'll get like clusters of traffic on I-95 for the most part, um, large clusters. And most of it's like bumper to bumper. I mean, like people are riding your butt at 90. If you're doing 80 miles an hour, you're driving slow on I-95. People don't care. Like, I mean, they'll risk the ticket because everybody else out there speeds. I mean, the, the traffic flow is typically... 10, 15, 20 miles an hour over the speed limit. I mean, they're they're flying everywhere. So and it's it's jam-packed, especially one in the afternoon. I'm assuming that's kind of a busier time than 1 a.m., right? It was it was uh on a Monday. So yeah, um we we're right about in the lunch lunch rush hour traffic. Okay. So we had quite a few people going to and from places, things like that. Gotcha. All right, not I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no, you're totally good. So you see all these reactions, you your, your sixth sense starts to kick in. And then as you're making the stop, you call for another guy that you're working with to start heading your way. Yep. Okay. And then let's start from that. Go ahead. So they got off on the exit um, and originally kind of stopped short. There was this parking lot that they could have pulled all the way into. Um, like a, a, it used to be an old uh, Texaco gas station. It's not anymore. It's just a dirt lot now. Um, but they stopped kind of in the road. And I almost thought they were going to stop in that lane. Which again is really awkward. They're they're trying to control where we're stopping at. They're putting me in a weird, awkward position, things like that. So I went to open my driver door just to be prepared for you know whatever might happen. And when I did that, he actually pulled all the way into the lot, which allowed me to pull in just enough that because I have an SUV, I have a 2016 Explorer. Um, the tail end of my car was maybe five feet out of the road. So I wasn't very far in the parking lot. I didn't have a whole lot of room to work with behind me. So they really kind of controlled that to a degree. I could have had them move. But once I once I walked up and made contact with the vehicle, there, there were red flags, I mean, immediately. Um, so when I walked up, I knew there was three passengers in the vehicle. At least I could see through the back window enough that I saw somebody You're, in the... Or sorry, go ahead. All right, so... Before we get, um, yeah, what's what's the like? So now we're off the main highway. What is that kind of traffic or that surrounding like? Is it a business area? Is it a desolate area? Is it? It's a. It's not desolate. It's a. It's a four lane road uh, separated by a median. So you got two lanes going in either direction. It's okay. a larger. I'd say a more populated area. You get a little bit of um, like business traffic through there. Okay. Um. And, and as we as we get a little further on, it'll kind of it'll kind of explain that just a little bit too, because uh, some more of the the story will will pan out to how many people were in the area and stuff like that. And then uh, you said I, before I interrupted you, you said that you were I had approached the vehicle. Uh, was that driver side, passenger side? How did you walk up to the vehicle? Always passenger side. <laughs> Good thing. Dennis <laughs> rings true to me today, um, and, and and that's why I reached out to you and I said, you know, we talked about passenger side approaches in your class. I reached out to you. And, I wholeheartedly believe passenger side approaches saved my life this that day in that incident. I, I truly believe it because it, it allowed me to get certain views of things. But as I approached 
the window tint was dark. Um, I'd say probably around 5%. So I couldn't see very much into the vehicle. Um, I could see through the back window enough to see somebody with long hair in the back seat. So I thought it was a female. I, uh, I, they rolled the front windows down, but not the back window. So I, I stepped up just enough to say out loud into the car, Hey, roll the windows down. And then I stepped back to the, the C pillar area to kind of get myself away from this back seat passenger. Um, and the window got rolled down to right about eye level. I could see into the car, but not as much as I would have liked. So I stepped up and I, and he was actually the one who rolled the window down because I saw him in the back seat do it. So the back seat, the back seat passenger. Yeah. Okay. Um, on my side, on the passenger side, I saw okay. he was the one that had reached over and rolled the window down actually. And so I kind of stepped to where I could see his hands again. And I told him, uh, as I looked through the window, I almost like, Hey man, do me a favor, roll the window all the way down for me. It's, it's for my safety. And he says, he asked me, um, started contesting the stop a little bit, uh, not necessarily the stop, but his, his level of detainment. He specifically asked me, am I being detained? And I told him, I, which, which is weird. It's abnormal. It's it. That's, that is to me, that's somebody who's been through the game. You're, you're asking these questions. You've been through the game. It's weird for, uh, uh any passenger to interject in a, in a simple traffic stop in my experience and yeah. let alone a, a guy in the back seat to very early yeah. on yeah. yeah i mean that's the first conversation you had with them that's that's very Basically. strange to me i yeah, hadn't even i hadn't even asked the driver for his driver's license registration insurance or told him why they were stopped yet um and the, and the backseat passenger was contesting the was stop. asking if he was detained yeah and yeah that, that is very strange now mind you so he rolled the window down enough. I could see his whole torso and part of his legs. And while he was sitting, it, it's hard for me to really show it sitting here, but he had his hands like this in his lap. He had his hands up where I could see the back of his hands. And, and this is where I could see wide palms, very oh, wide yeah. open palms. So but they were, they were crossed. Yeah. That's what the target visual. So and basically yep, his hands so, were like making an X yeah, on his legs. Like that on his left leg. I had his hands were open kind of similar to this um, sitting on his leg. And he was leaned forward a little bit. The hair, he had long dreads and they were covering part of his face. It was, it was just really awkward that the very initial conversation with him made my skin crawl, like the weirdest, most uncomfortable conversation I've had with somebody in my life. And I didn't really know why yet. Um, and, and besides him and the driver, how many other occupants were in the car? I didn't know it at the time, but okay. there was a two month old infant in a car seat in the driver's side back seat that I couldn't see from where I was on the passenger side, just from the, the vehicle height and things like that. Okay. Um, people will argue safety of certain techniques. I turn to face people. I give them my chest. I don't stand at the side, especially the backseat passenger, because my fear is that I will get shot and it will go in between my vest and get stuck in there. I I'm, I'm definitely afraid of that. So I give people a larger target which is my chest. And I hope that if I get shot, I get shot in the vest and it doesn't go through. Yeah. I mean, just talking for maybe people that are listening to that are sort of like a bulletproof vest, the, the most vulnerable side, the most vulnerable part is the sides where we kind of velcro them together or however you fasten them. But that's, that's the, the weakest part of those. Um, so you have a two month old, you have the rear seat passenger that's giving you the creeps. You have a driver, a front seat passenger. Yep. I had a female on the front seat who, until I made contact with her, I didn't know this, but I, I had actually arrested her two weeks prior for okay. driving with a suspended license. And 
So typically what I do on a traffic stop is I look young. Um, I, I, I look very young. I can get away with a lot of things by looking as young as I do. Um, shocker to everybody. I'm almost 30 years old. That's good. You're like, good for your age, man. I was about you're like 23. Uh, no, I'm 28. So there's that. Um, nice. Look good for your age, man. Yeah, it's, just, it's a good it's a good hack for me. I like it. So I get away with a lot of stuff. So I I typically play the ignorant cop. It's great. It it for the most part downplays a lot of things. And and I steal a, a page out of your book, but nine times out of ten, I tell people, hey, listen, it's a basic traffic stop. I'm not here to write tickets. I just have to do a job, enforce traffic laws. As long as everything checks out, I'm not, I'm give you a written warning. I mean, nothing more than a warning, no, no fine, no penalty and send you on your way, which is pretty much what I did there with him. And with everybody in the car, once he contested the stop, I told him, I said, listen, man, it's just a traffic stop for some, for some dark window tent and a broken taillight, I believe is what I said to him. Um, and I told him, I said, I just kind of need you to, to work me a little bit for my safety. Um, and I, I specifically told him verbatim, I said, with all the bullshit going on, in, in society right now, I'm not getting shot today. A little bit of poetic justice in there, but he actually reaches up in an agreement and puts his fist out to fist bump me. That's a driver. No, the, the backseat passenger. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. So I have, this is now the second time on a traffic stop I have ever, I fist bumped somebody. I fist bumped him back to make that connection of, hey, we have a rapport. Mind you, I'm, this guy's still giving me the creeps. Because the minute he fist bumps it, he puts his hands back just the way they were near his leg where I could see his hands the entire time. That's strange. Very weird. So I take the step forward to the B pillar where I've got the B pillar in front of me, but mm-hmm. I can see all the occupants and what they're doing. The passenger is the one that's getting all the documents out of the car for me. The close female passenger. The female, okay. And I begin to ask if anyone has any ID in the car. The driver tells me he doesn't have an ID on it. The backseat passenger tells me he has no ID on it. Um, and I, I didn't realize that I knew her, so I didn't even ask for her ID. I knew I took it. <laughs> I took her to jail for driving with a suspended license. So I knew she didn't have ID. So you recognized her when you, yep. okay. as soon as I stepped up, I recognized her. Okay. Um, at that moment, I started to kind of have the gears turned in my head of the jigs up. I can't play the dumb cop anymore. I've arrested somebody in this car. <laughs> So at some point in time, I have to return to my vehicle to do what I need to do or pull the driver out to do what I need to do. And I have to leave her in in order to not make things weird. So I was kind of in that vibe of if I pull her out by herself and not the driver, that's going to be weird, which will create red flags amongst the other two. And I'm just buying time right now. My whole plan, which I got. Did you have a good rapport with her the last time you dealt with her, though? Even though you had jam dropped yeah. with this, yeah. but you still had a, a good rapport with her. That's always I, a huge I thing. I believe here. so. I was respectful to her the entire time. I had the ability to actually charge her with a felony um, for, for providing a false name to me, but I didn't. I just charged her with the, the suspended license thing. Um, tried to be respectful to her. Just tried to basically tell her, look, you've, you've, she had a ticket for it a couple days prior, and I played it off like, a, look, you you got hemmed up a couple days ago and you didn't go to jail for it. Now you're still doing it. I, I can't help you there. You know what I mean? So I tried to play it off as like a, not being a jerk to her type of thing. Um, and I was respectful to her the entire time. And you so still I, put her a break based on. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Could have charged her a felony, charged her a misdemeanor, a misdemeanor instead of a misdemeanor and a felony, uh, stuff like that. So. I got you one more question. So yeah. typically 
you know, we, when you give them that huge spiel about like, you're just going to get a warning and then it's not going to be uh, any penalty or anything along those lines, the normal average public, what, what kind of responses do you get during that situation? They calm down. Any nervousness is typically gone. Um, cause that's, that's the one thing that I've, I've experienced since being the yours and Dennis, uh, Dennis's classes I've experienced where I stopped people. And back when I was a newer cop, and they would always be nervous. And, and the new cop was like, oh my God, they're nervous. They're criminals. No, they're afraid I'm about to write them a $150 ticket. And then the minute you walk up with a written warning, you're like, hey, here you go. They're all like, oh my God, it's Christmas. You know, right. like, thank, it's thank so God. much happier. Yeah. yeah. So it's, I've learned basically to give that, give up that card right away. Um, I don't write a lot of tickets. I, I don't like to. Um, I look at it as if, if a cop wrote me a $150 ticket, I work a full-time job and it's still going to hurt my paycheck. I'm still, I'm going to feel that. So unless you're being like a a complete reckless ass, you're probably not getting a ticket from me. So I don't feel the need to, you know what I mean? I'll I'll downplay it all day long because I'm not going to come back and give these people tickets anyways. Yeah. Um, That's one thing that I would say like it for me, like if I, if I say that I'm going to do something, I'm going to stick by my word. Like if I'm going to say like, if your license is good, I'll just give you warning and you'll be on your way. I'm not going to go back then and get them on calm and then decide that whatever, like something changed my mind and now I'm making that ticket. I mean, yeah. as a cop, and, and especially with her, you've just dealt with her twice in a matter of a couple of weeks. If you were, if yeah. you were that guy and you were then she, you were to charge her with that felony and you're stopper now, her demeanor to you is going to be completely different and she's not going to trust a word that you say at that point. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's kind of the thing, like they had a little bit of marijuana in the car the last time, if I remember correctly, or she did, um, I didn't charge her with the marijuana. We don't do that in Florida anymore. We are a, we're a medical marijuana state. So a lot of our state attorneys, I mean, some agencies still do, but a lot of our state attorneys won't touch it. Even if you field test it and field test for marijuana, they, they're not going to waste their time on it. Their opinion is they have bigger fish. Um, so- is that only small amounts like, or is that like, if you come across a large amount, is that a different story? Like a large amount, I'm talking like pounds upon pounds. Pounds and it's, pounds, different story. Okay. Um, yeah, just, we don't have to go to detail, but I'm just curious. Yeah. I, I took a half a pound out of a car for destruction one day. Okay. Because they wouldn't have done anything with it. So yeah, um, it's, it's kind of wild. Um, but yeah, so I actually, I had a conversation with her before too, where I'd explained to her, Hey, look, got a little bit of personal use in the car, not a big deal, whatever. Maybe it was just like a um, little bit of, a little bit of crumb type stuff in, in her backpack, things like that. Nothing, nothing really crazy. And I'm not going to scoop it up to try and charge somebody with it anyways, even if I yeah. could, like, that's yeah. just a waste of my time. Yeah, um, but so I had, but I tried to play it off to her. Like, you know, I'm, I'm doing you this favor type thing, even though really I'm doing myself a favor kind of. Um, but so I tried to have a rapport with her and I, I was hoping that I had enough of a rapport with her from the last time that whatever was going to happen in that car, um, wasn't really going to be bad like that. I guess if that made sense. Yeah. Um, but so while talking to them, I was just basically trying to buy time for my, my uh, backup. I, I had enough reasonable suspicion to extend the stop at that point, in my personal opinion. Um, I got this guy who doesn't want to identify himself. I got a car with a bunch of people who have no IDs in it. Um, and I got this guy who's just giving me the creeps the entire time. 
Um, so I asked the driver for his name and it's actually funny. Um, he told me his name and, uh, and I, I pretended like I didn't hear it, but I played it off. His first name started with a J. His last name uh, was like Mike. Um, so I was like, did this guy just tell me his name was like Mike Jordan or some bullshit? And I said it to the backseat passenger to be funny. And the guy kind of laughed and I was like, okay, why, you know what I mean? He's, he's laughing at some dumb corny joke that really wasn't funny because he's trying to connect with me to that extent. So I'm, I'm thinking he's not the bad guy here. So I, I tell the driver, I'm like, look, man, all this traffic, all this stuff. I, I can't hear you. I'm having to come back here and give me your name. So I get him to meet me at the trunk of his car. Normally, so we have a system in Florida, we call it David. Um, and what David is, is we can type your name and date of birth into it. And it's, it's our driver's license database. So I can bring up a picture of you, your social and every bit of information that's on your driver's license. Every car you've previously owned that's been registered to you, things like that. Um, so normally I go to my car. If somebody doesn't have a driver's license, I'll bring them up in David and I'll verify who they are. All right, cool. You are this guy that you say you are. Well, we're issued work phones. And because of the level of creeps this guy was giving me, I didn't even want to get back in my car. So I brought my work phone out and I opened up David on my phone to verify who this guy was so I could stay in a position where I could watch the car and the driver and not put myself inside of a metal coffin. As you know, the saying goes, your car is your metal coffin. If anything bad happens, you don't want to be inside of it. So Correct. I that's, that's a pretty yeah. awesome system though. Like that's, that's nice that you're able to do that and basically like um, improvise with the ability yeah. to still check stuff on a, on a handheld device instead of going sitting in your car to get that information. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. It's just a website. Um, so we log into it. It's similar to like your NCIC, FCIC. It's very controlled. Um, requires password changes, things like that. You're not supposed to disseminate the information, yada, yada, all that good jazz. Um, but since my work phone's a secure device, you know, it's, in my opinion, um, viable use of it that's that's how we went with it um that day i mean tactically that's that's an amazing advantage to have absolutely and even if you have just an identification card in florida i can run your id cards through there too so if you don't have a valid driver's license but you have an id card i can check that as well so anytime florida it's just basically a um an idea with a when they take a photograph it uploads into that system yep florida id cards and florida driver's license the other cool thing is side note we can look up your, whether you're not, your license is suspended on there, when it was suspended, and then what, why it was, whether it was suspended for an unpaid citation, things like that. Because in Florida, I don't know about other states, but in Florida, it's an arrestable offense to drive knowingly on a suspended license. So the way we can verify that is it actually gives us the state statute when it's a financial obligation suspension on the website. It tells it right underneath, arrestable under such and such state statute. So it's like, it's, I mean, it is a phenomenal database. It stores their old pictures and their new pictures as you get your driver's license updated. So it's pretty good. It's, it's probably one of my favorites for just identifying somebody, verifying an ID. Um, Mind you, you got twins, you got friends that look kind of alike and things like that, that'll give you their siblings information and kind of screw you over, but you get that kind of stuff. Um, But he gives me his information, totally normal. Uh, I verify who he was through David. I'm like, all right, great. Uh, this guy's who he says he is. Was there a lot of nervous with him when he was separated from the car or no? So I did get some nervous behaviors from him. I okay. got some, 
during the interview with him, the roadside interview with him, I asked him, Hey, where are you guys headed? And he tells me, actually, he tells me, well, I got to be back at work over here in an hour and a half or in an hour or something like that. And I was like, well, you're 40 minutes from there and it's rush hour traffic right now. You ain't making it. (laughs) Like that's not happening. So I tell him, I'm like, I'm like, all right, who's the guy in your backseat? And why is he acting so weird? I mean, I was straight up about it. And he tells me were you in ear? Were you in earshot of the car at all? Oh, you're far enough. You're far enough away. I was far enough back that um, he shouldn't have been able to hear me with with the traffic. So I was close to my car, but I park close to cars that way. I don't have no man's land in between. Um, you know, again, there's two sides, two sides yeah. of, of every opinion. But we were close. We were kind of in between both cars, but closer okay. to mine. Okay. Got two cars running. I got traffic from I-95 just next to us and the traffic from the road we're on. So I didn't think he could have really heard me. Um, but so I'm talking to him and I'm like, hey, who's this guy in your backseat? Why is he why is he acting weird? Why is he acting the way he's acting? And the guy tells me I don't know who he is. Well, that's weird. He's yeah, he's that's in, in your car. <laughs> I, I mean, now mind you, we all know we deal with the average people um every day that hang out with scrotes that people in their car they don't know who they are i get it or maybe they know him by a street name and not a real name but but he tells me straight up i don't know who he is and i said what do you mean he's in the car with you and then his response to me was well he was in the car when i got in the car that's a very weird statement uh, to me I, I mean i i even said to him like i was like guy you're driving the car what do you mean he was in the car when you got in the car you're driving well later on that that i realized she was driving originally but he didn't want to snitch on her for driving because she had no license <laughs> Yeah, that's good. So I started to get that vibe after a minute and I asked him where they're going, but he says, Hey, we're going right up the road here. Okay. Well, let's ride up the road here. Where, where are you going? He says, I, I don't know. I'm taking him up here to drop him off. And then I'm headed back to work. So you don't know where you're going? Nope. He's going to tell me when we get there. Okay. That's weird. Now I'm understanding this guy in the backseat is controlling this. He's controlling this driving. Like that's odd to me. Um, so there's like a lot of flags there in that kind of case. At this point, my zone, my my backup deputy had arrived. I was pulling up. So I go up to the car to get the front seat passenger out because the driver tells me the passenger knows him. So I said, okay, I have a rapport. We'll work with that. So I go back up and as I'm reapproaching, I see the weirdest thing I've probably seen on a traffic stop in a while. The guy is still in the back seat with his window rolled down. The driver's side window is still rolled down. Her window is rolled all the way up, which immediately startled me. I was like, there's something wrong. I don't know why you would do that other than you're trying to prevent what you're saying in this car from getting out. So the best female, way can... Yeah, the female, so the, the front seat female rolled up the window. Yeah. And as I, yeah. as I said earlier, I had the vibe of the jig was up. Now I knew it was. I knew for a fact she had told him who I was. She probably had told him that I had arrested her. That was what was going through my head. This guy now knows what day of the week it is. So if there's drugs, money, guns, anything in this car, um, now we have to be concerned. Now we have a reason to be concerned. So I told him, I told her through the back window to roll the window down. So she does. And I tell her to come back and talk to me. And he was then sitting in the back seat. It's going to sound really weird with a puppy in his lap. I, the I, dog? Say, I, I don't know. There was a dog in the car. Okay. that I'd never seen. And I mean, when I'm saying a puppy, I'm talking like six weeks or smaller dog, a a tiny puppy. Like it could fit in the palm of his hand almost. Wow. Okay. And I'm, 
And at that point, I, to be a goof, to be like, oh, I'm still an idiot. Ha ha. I'm like, oh my God, you have a puppy guy. Everyone loves puppies, like type thing. I'm, I'm just continuing this shtick of I'm an idiot. Don't have anything to worry about. But he had the dog now as another disarming factor in my mind. Because the normal person who sees a puppy, only good people have puppies, damn it. I mean, that's but, the mindset yeah. that you would normally get. Like puppies, good people, things like that. You get that sort of connection. It's, it's, a, dis, it's a disarming. Plus act. a baby in the back there too. Yeah. And again, I still didn't know the baby was there yet. Nobody had told oh, wow. me this baby. Okay. Nobody, nobody had told me this baby's back there yet. I hadn't even seen it. It hadn't made a peep. It wasn't crying. It wasn't stirring. It was the quietest baby I've ever heard. Was it in a car seat? Yep. Okay. Yep. It was in a darker colored car seat, uh, maybe like a grayish or darker color. Um, I remember seeing it after the incident. Um, but so I get her out and I bring her back. Now, mind you, this is her baby. This baby is hers. So while she's coming back to the back of the car with me, I tell my backup deputy and I, and I said it in a manner to try and alarm him, but I couldn't, in my opinion, I couldn't say anything like, Hey, this guy's a fucking creep. <laughs> Watch out. Right, right. We, we use 10 codes at my agency and, and the 10 code we use is 1012, which is stay with somebody like, Hey, I have a 1012. Somebody's with me type thing. So I okay. said to him verbatim, I was like, Hey, do me a favor, stay 1012 with him. And I sent it almost exactly like that. Like it was more of a question, like it was inquisitive, like something was wrong, sort of. And so that my backup deputy is also a street cop guy. So oh, awesome. I, was, I was hoping he would have a little more alertness and watching the dash cams back, he does move around quite a bit and seem like he's trying to see the car more and things like that. From watching the video, what I've seen too, he, uh, he engaged the subject talking about everything besides like just to make casual conversations and try to be relatable to yes. the subject in the backseat. He laughs, he jokes, he, uh, talks about he, kids. Yeah. So he has something like, and that's a, that goes a long way. I think if you, if you have someone that is planning to do something negative to someone and you let them know in advance that you have kids or you have a wife or something like most people don't. Most people don't want to take a dad away from their kids. Like, and, and unless you're like a complete psychopath, you know, like that's, that's a, a huge thing that I noticed when, he, when your partner was talking to him. Yeah. Um, one question about your partner. So you, how much time on the job does he have? He's worked for another agency for a couple of years, um, okay. but he's worked with our agency for just over a year, I believe. Um, okay. He's got, he's so, got mil military experience and stuff like that too. So he's, you know, he's not, just some goof that fell off the street that day. Um, him and I had actually worked together very little ourselves. That was actually, I think only our second day working together. Wow. Um, so we didn't have like some crazy year long connection where we could read each other's body languages very well, or we could read each other's reactions or knew what each other were going to do in the scenario that we were in. Um, mind you, we still had no idea. But to even relate back to his statement about having kids, he didn't, he didn't even tell this guy he had kids. He told me he had babies. Oh, his exact right. words were, I have, I got babies. Yeah. Yep. You're right. So you're not even, you're relating to this guy in the sense of, of telling this guy, you have little children. You have children that are still, that still require their dad to be around. Um, so that's, in my opinion, that's even more, that hits even more. Um, but at one point, and I didn't see this on the road, but I saw it when I watched my dash cam that I don't believe has been a, a 
publicly sent out yet. I, I, there's a lot of audio issues and things like that with mine. It's pretty unbearable to listen to. I left my patrol radio up really loud in the car. So it's gotcha, yeah. you're screeching. But the guy, he calls over to my backup deputy to have him walk up to the car at one point because my backup deputy, like I was talking to the driver for a second. I don't know if the driver asked questions, but when he called him up, he put his hands out the window to let him see, Hey, look, I got nothing in my hands. I'm, I'm, I'm friendly. Like I'm okay. That's had I have seen that. I don't know if it would have changed the route we went. I hope it wouldn't have because everything worked out the way it needed to in the end. So I wouldn't change anything really, I guess. I don't know. I mean, there's some Monday morning quarterbacking I've done to myself pretty heavily, but, but so I pulled, I pulled her all the way back. I left the driver at the trunk. I pulled her all the way back to my front tire, my front passenger tire. So I had a good bit of distance. He could maybe hear us, but I had her back to him. So he couldn't give her any like visual stimulus or anything like that. Um, and that gave me an overwatch position. I can see her. I can see him and my backup can see the guy in the car. Um, and I can kind of see if anything goes bad and I can still do a roadside interview. Yeah. I, I, I'll commend you on that. I watched the video several times and, uh, I think the way that you had it set up, given the circumstances, it was, uh, yeah, you, you had your back to your squad and, and everything else was in front of you. And then you and your partner both had an opportunity to retreat backwards. And yet you could still, if need be, put yeah. gun, uh, rounds down range and not worry about you yeah. shooting at each other. It was, it was, it was, yeah, I gave you a lot of props on that. It was, uh, it was probably the, I mean, the best we could have done with what we had, um, given what, where it devolved into, but I asked her the typical questions, you know, Hey, is there any drugs in the car? Is there any guns in the car? Anything like that? She didn't give me any criminal reaction to the question of, of firearms, um, which was really weird. She did. She freaked out heavily about drugs. It was very specific. She said, I have a little bit of weed in the car. I have a little bit of weed in the car. It's in the backseat. And so my mindset is, okay, there's more drugs in the car than just weed. She's just taking ownership of this stuff. She knows I'm not going to take her to jail for more than likely. And then started almost pleading with me. Don't take me back to jail, please. I don't want to go back to jail. And I told her, I was like, listen, I'm not taking you to jail for some weed. It's just, you have a bad driver's license, but you ain't driving. You know, as long as there's nothing else crazy going on, just like I told you last time, I'm not going to take you to jail for something stupid. Um, and, and I told your, her, I was like, your previous report with her, I'm, I'm sure that like that helps yeah. her out where she's going to, even if there is something in the car, she's going to say like, I have this little bit. It's almost like something that I can get this stuff for you and give it to you. You just don't go in my car. This is all we have. And then I know that you're not going to take me to jail for this because you did it last time. Kind of. Yeah. And, and it's actually, she offered to get it for me. She mm -hmm. told me exactly where the marijuana was. Um, she yeah. said it was in a, in a, and I, I wish I had thought about it at the time, but she said it was in a package of baby wipes that she'd stuck it in the baby wipes. Wish it had triggered me to say, well, is your kid in the car this time? Like, but it didn't. Um, but so as it went on, I kind of, I, I calmed her back down. I brought her back down to the baseline again, where she wasn't freaking out. So like, look, you're not going to jail for some weed. You know that we don't arrest for weed here. It's not a big deal. Um, and I was like, is there a lot of, is there large sums of money in the car or anything like that? Which she said no, um, but didn't act didn't act nervous. Uh, not the way she did about the drugs. Like I was not getting any reaction of anything other than the drugs. So then I started to ask myself the question of, okay, so there's drugs in the car. They're probably in the back seat with this guy who's acting like a creep. And then something triggered me to ask, does anybody in the car have any warrants? And she looked down at her feet, and eye contact shut off immediately. And I was like, 
That's okay, pretty this, strong. This jerk off in the back seat's got some dope and some warrants. Okay. You know what I mean? I was like, we're we're good. So I was like, all right, so there's nothing I need to worry about other than this guy having some warrants and some drugs. And she wouldn't say anything else to me. Wow. So that was kind of the mindset of, okay, drugs and warrants. All right, good. I thought about actually walking up to the car and I don't know why I didn't. Um, thinking back on it, I, I don't know. I, could, I couldn't tell you why I didn't, but I instead told, I waved to my backup deputy to get him to bring the guy back to me. And that's when things went sideways. Um, and he told my backup that he, there was a baby in the car, I guess. From what, listening to the video, that's what I heard. That's when uh, my partner tells him, hey, I got babies. You know, I, I got babies. I'll watch after him. It's not a big deal. You go back there, talk to him. I'll take care of the baby. No big deal. And he tries to downplay it. Mind you, this guy has no connection to this baby. This baby is not his in the backseat. We didn't again, wow. know that, but he's trying to right, use right. this baby as a reason not to get out of the car. Didn't he say something about dogs too or something? Or puppies or yep. something? Yep. My partner looks at him and says, oh, oh, oh hell, you got a dog too. That's right. And, and he laughs, laughs and he says, I, I got dogs as well. Yeah, continuing I'm... the connection. Yeah, yeah. Continuing sure. that, that connection thing. And now my backup deputy, he's a, he's a jokester. He's the center of attention. He's, he's a, that, that is his personality on duty and off duty. That's his personality with people, uh, you know, that we have pulled over or with people that he's best friends. with. He's just that guy. He's a happy go lucky guy. Um, so at that point, the guy realized, well, shit, it's happening either way. So he throws the door open and actually says, if you listened closely in the video, he says, you better back up to my backup deputy as he's emerging with a short barrel rifle. And at that point, I was downrange. I, I saw the door opening, so I started to look over just to kind of the, to see what's happening. Um, and I saw the rifle. And I remember turning to get off, get off the X, get to cover. Um, I know we don't wear plates. We have nothing that stops a rifle around at my, at my agency, um, at least not on patrol level. So my thought process was, I need to get to cover, and we need to handle business at this point. Like It, it is what it is. Um, but I remember the thought in my mind was, this isn't real life. Like, this isn't actually happening. Um, it, was, it was almost like a weird out-of-body experience for me for a second. <laughs> um, I imagine. I have been asked why I, why I worded it that way, why I felt that way. And, and my best response was I was living every cop's worst nightmare. Like that was, that is every cop's worst nightmare. Not only are we in a situation that we tried our best to be ready for it as best as possible. Um, but you're never ready for a guy to emerge from a backseat with a short barrel rifle shooting two, two, three rounds at you. You're, you're just, I don't care how much of a plan you have. Your, your plan is never going to come out the same way when shit hits the fan. I agree. I, uh, and that so was it. Were you, with, with the angle that you had, were you able to see the gun as he opened the door? No, I couldn't see the gun until he was almost completely out of the car. The gun came out before him as best as I remember. So he came out and swung to the right to get out of the car. And as he swung to the right, I saw the gun coming up. It can't. And so after, was it his left hand? It was in his right hand. So okay. The way he had it hidden, he had it on him, I believe, the entire time. He had it inside of his hoodie, up into his armpit. And the reason he kept his hands to the side, I think, was to pin it to his body like you would with a waistband concealed firearm. So he pinned it close so you couldn't see it. Um, 
So I think he had the plan the entire time for me to come back to the car to get him by myself. Um, and he was going to kill me. He was going to kill me right then uh, because I was going to be by myself. It was going to be a one-on-one. I was outgunned and he was going to catch me off guard. Mind you, I wouldn't have been completely off guard, but I'd have been off guard for that. And there would have been no preparing for that. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's I mean, that's, I'm sorry. Yeah, you can't. It's just a, a rifle fight. Like you, you were automatically at a disadvantage. We were. When you talk about the out of body experience, was it more like a slow motion type thing? Where you like were things moving so fast, but yet you could see them in a slow motion type. Kind everything of like, felt so slow. It felt like watching the video. Now, I I had a conversation with my dad, who's a retired cop. I had a conversation with my dad. Um, a little bit. And I told him, I was like, I, I think it was a minute, a minute and a half, maybe of, of total time. I was vastly incorrect. I think it's like 38 seconds. The entire, from first shot to last shot, I think it's 38 seconds. That's it. Super fast. It's, and it just felt, it felt so incredibly slow um, that you couldn't, I couldn't say things quick enough to, initiate a response um and and i'll get that so basically we were at such a bad step because when the shooting started he shot first and he hit my backup deputy in 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 the leg um that was his first shot his first shot hit him in the leg it was one of his first shots and we're not exactly sure if it was the first one or not yeah i got that Um, the video looks like he has a actually a dead round in in the rifle um, the first shot looks like it doesn't come out properly and he racks the gun. It looks like, and a round comes out. Um, so I don't know if the first round went off or if he even tried to fire the first round. I'm not certain. Um, don't know to that extent, but it, it seems, uh, it seems like he tries to, in the video, my partner tries to run to cover at my car and winds up tripping in front of my car. He loses his footing and falls. And that's when they exchange a couple rounds back and forth our cameras and our microphones don't pick up the audio well enough of his rifle. It cuts his rifle's audio out because it's too loud. Um, so you can't hear him shooting at all in the video. You can only hear us shooting, um, which is primarily actually me. <laughs> Looking back at it now, I, I, I know how many rounds I fired and how fast I fired them, and it was quite a lot. Um, so I came backside of my car over to my driver's side taillight of my, my Explorer and I stepped out. And when I stepped out, um, the way I remember it versus the way it happened is actually incredibly different. Um, I, I distinctly remember him running away from me towards the front of the car. That's not what happened. Um, so in the stress of it, my brain was filling in blanks, which is wild. It's wild how much watching my video now, I see how much is so different. But we exchanged gunfire at the left-hand side of my car and the left, the driver's side of his car, shooting from basically car to car. Um, I don't know what the average length of a car is, but that's about the distance we were as two car lengths um, shooting at each other. Now, my backup was on the ground because he's hitting the leg and he's trying to get to cover. I shot the entire first magazine out of my gun, which is 16 rounds of 9 millimeter. In a matter of seconds, he was hit. This was on the driver's side of both of your guys' car? The car. So when you listen to the video, you hear all the shooting going on? Yeah, yeah. That is that is all all of me emptying the first magazine of my gun and then re- stepping back and reloading and re-emerging and continuing the gunfight at that point. It's amazing. I, where where I, was your partner at during this? Trying, He was trying to get back to cover because he was laying in the 
rear prone position. I don't recall if he was shooting. I, I don't know. Um, but he was also on the driver's side, right? Yeah, we were both driver's side. Okay. And my, my mentality was I need this guy to go to cover and stop shooting at us. So my partner can get up and then get to cover because he's in a bad spot and he's so far out and away from me. I can't get to him. Um, he was, he was too far out for me to be able to step out and grab him and pull him. And I'm going to be honest, I'm 155 pounds. My partner's probably 200 pounds. I could have probably pulled him, but it would have taken everything I had to pull him. And you, I mean, at minimum, even if you're not being the bad guy, you shooting at him is making him have, making him have to think and reevaluate what the hell he's doing. Yep. And he's hip firing a rifle at us. I mean, he's not really bringing it up to shoulder and shooting. He's just point shooting a rifle in our direction. So it's haphazard. I have a question about the rifle when looking at it. Did he remove like the butt of it? Like, yes. So okay. he removed the butt stock or somebody removed the butt stock, whether it was him yeah, or somebody yeah, else. Yeah. Um, and it, to make it into a AR pistol. So it's not a short barrel rifle, which makes it legally hmm. able to be owned per the ATF standards. Mind you, he's a convicted felon in possession of a firearm that's also stolen. So I don't really know if we care at this point, but hey. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> it's a. So a weird, he, listen, he, he wants to abide by the ATF rules, um, but so he's just haphazardly shooting this rifle at us. Mind you, the female that I was with had run in that direction into the street to get cover. And the other, the driver had run off to the side of the vehicle out into the wilderness, uh, like 75 yards away. Um, so during this gunfight, the, the other thought process that's in my brain is I don't know where these two went. I mean, I'm focused on him, but I don't know who else is here. I don't know what else is here. I don't know what else is going on. I just have to deal with one threat at a time. We're very lucky she didn't shoot me in the back. I mean, we're very lucky she didn't go physically hands-on with me when he got out of the car because I would have had to have handled that fight. Um, yeah. You know, uh, I, I've, I've been asked the question of why didn't I, I draw my gun and just shoot him while he was dealing with my partner. And my thought process was I have a partner downrange. I have the, the driver downrange. I have her downrange. And she's close enough to me that if I pulled my gun out and punched out and start shooting, she's close enough that she could have become a physical altercation over the control of my gun. Wait, 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 but, all right, let's go back. I, I think you did everything great. And uh, yeah, no, no, was, no, someone, was someone questioning you or just asking? Just like asking. If, like, okay, like, I was like, if someone's yeah, questioning yeah. you, that's un, <laughs> unacceptable by a hundred times. So, all right, let's no, all right, just I'll so, with that. Yeah. So just asking questions and, and trying to learn. And, and I'm, and so I'm one of these people that I will Monday morning quarterback myself to no end. Um, right. I've watched my video probably a thousand or more times in a matter of, I think it's been out for 10 days. Hmm. I've probably watched that video a thousand times. I've watched it. I think the first day I probably watched it 200 times the first night, just on repeat. Just what could I have done differently? How could I have prevented this other deputy from being hurt? You know, how could I have seen, what can I have seen? Things like that. And, 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 and I'll discuss that a little later because that's the aftermath of other shooting right. type stuff. But, but so I, I thought about things like people ask questions, talked about it. You know, I realized I couldn't have done anything there, anything different than what I did to safely do what we did. Um, but so when I shot the first magazine at him at the driver's side of my car, I hit him in the leg, I guess, or one of us hit him in the leg, which caused him to get covered. We continued shooting at him. Um, not sure if it's confirmed or not. It hasn't been told to me. Uh, it's been told to me, but it hasn't been told to me by like our evidence team. We believe the rifle was actually struck by one of our rounds. We believe we shot the rifle with one of the nine mil rounds, which rendered it, you know, useless. 
Um, grace of God. If anybody's religious, <laughs> just miracles. whatever, whatever works. Yeah, yeah miracles good. are miracles being played out. Um, in that time frame, I I believe I had shot almost two full magazines out of my gun already, and it had been I think about fifteen seconds, give or take. Um, what I didn't know is I believe I had three rounds left in that magazine. I didn't know that because obviously I'm not counting bullets. Yeah. I lost visual of him when he went to the right side of my car. So I went to go to the, or the right side of his car. So I went to go to the right side of my car. And then I caught a glimpse of him through my windshield coming in between the two vehicles. So I stepped back out to readdress him at the driver's side. He was actually moving incredibly fast. Um, if you watch the video, he, he's moving so much faster than I would have expected, especially knowing now that he had already been hit by at least one bullet, if not more. Um, and, and one being in the leg, um, watching the video back, he is hopping right. down the side of the cars and in between. Um, I mean, the guy's the op, the hopscotch champion of the world. I, I don't know. That's, <laughs> it was, it was amazing. Man. I mean, it really was rocking. Yeah. It did not be, uh, like beyond just the hopping, not to be like phased by like, I don't, yeah. I don't see a lot of people that are shot in the leg that are still trying to address that like threat. Like, yeah. you know, like, I mean, oh, most yeah. people would like retreat and run away or something i would think i wouldn't think that they would continue in that fight it's crazy most and and so i've been told from other deputies that have been in shootings or or um from our our violent crimes people from our homicide guys and and i wholeheartedly believe it most people that start getting shot at there's a real eye-opener of do i really want this anymore is is this is this the fight that i want to continue because i'm i'm going to get potentially killed here and most people most people would up and say okay i'm done but then even further, he had been shot and he still continued the fight. That it, I mean, it, it shows the level of dedication to killing us that he had. It wasn't, it wasn't about escape at that point, in my personal opinion. Um, it was wholeheartedly about killing two deputies. It was, it was about there's, killing us. There's no doubt about it. Because if, if he wanted to escape, he had every other avenue to yep. escape besides uh, addressing you guys at your squad cars. There's yep. a million different ways he could have went. He had, he had already had cover at the front of his car. I mean, there was woods at the other end. He could have just taken off running. I mean, yeah. he, he likely would have made it to the woods without any issue. Um, because I would have, as long as I'm not in any danger, my mindset is to address the, 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 the possibly critical injury to, um, my backup's leg. Um, yeah, I, I carry, I carry a tourniquet. Um, actually I carry it on a mount that's attached to the front of my gun holster. Um, and I do it that way because I'm afraid I won't be able to reach around behind my back to get it if the time comes. Right. So I would have, I would have been doing what I could to help him at that point. He would have been free to hopscotch his way into the woods and been done and gone, but he continued the, the fight. Um, and he continued bringing it to us. So when I readdressed him at the driver's side of my car, he was actually closer to me than I thought he was going to be. So if you listen in the video, I fired three rounds pretty rapidly. Um, and we have, uh, my agency carries um, a, a, a different gun uh, than most any other agency. Uh, we're the only one in the, in the state that carry, or country that carries it. And it has, a, it has a design that I dislike. Um, and the design is the slide release and slide lock is very large. And I shoot with a high forward thumbs grip as if you're shooting a Glock or something like that. And what that sometimes causes is to pin the slide lock down which the gun will cycle and then follow back forward as if it's going back into battery. 
even on an empty magazine. That sucks. Yes. Because that is exactly what happened. The last three rounds of my gun came out. I held the slide lock down. I didn't know my gun was empty, but he's so close to me. My, my mentality is, mind you, I don't know if his rifle's operational or not. My opinion is this damn thing's been shooting. It's, it's still yeah. operational. Yeah. So I fell back to keep my car in between him and to stay with my, my backup because my opinion is we're, we're outgunned. We need to stay together. Two, two guns are better than one. So when I came in between the two cars, it's actually weird. Our cameras are, are wide angled. So I look way closer to him than I am. And a couple of people have asked that question to me of, it looks like he's shooting very close to my head, but he's really not. I'm probably about three feet to his left. Um, if you watch the shell casings in the video, they're, they're almost hitting me in the head. I'm so close. I'm like so far away from him. Um, when I came around the car, he was shooting. Um, and I believe the suspect had doubled, the shooter had doubled back around to the front end of my patrol car. So I turned to address that. As I turned, I saw a glimpse of him run through my two windows, my two back windows. I saw him run the other way. So I start turning to readdress him. And this is where it really sets in that things are running a lot slower in my brain than what's actually happening. I tried to tell my backup, hey, behind you. But if you watch in the video, it doesn't come out until it's it's essentially too late. Um, so he comes around the back of the car and he hits my partner over the head with the rifle at that point. And I recall him coming down forward with the rifle as if he's drawing down on me. As he's doing this, if you watch the video, I punch out, I take a really aggressive shooting stance and I pull the trigger and you can even see it. I dump the muzzle of the gun. The, the muzzle of the gun dips down because I pulled the trigger but there's no, no bang. The loudest sound in the world is when your gun goes click when it's not supposed to. Yeah. So I, I couldn't tell if it was a malfunction, an empty mag or anything. I dropped the mag out of the gun and I ran for cover. And as I'm running for cover, I'm reaching down to function the slide. I I think I told you earlier, I spoke to a a police academy just the other day um, about this. And I think the one thing somebody asked me was how afraid was I? Can I describe it? And I said, in that exact moment right there, I know you can actually freeze frame it. I'm running around the front of the car. And in my mind, I remember thinking, I'm going to die right now because I don't have a gun. I remember that, I remember that being my thought. He's going to, pardon the way I'm going to say it, but I remember thinking he's going to fucking kill me right here, right now. And there's nothing I can do to stop it. And you can actually tell in the video because as I'm racking the slide back to clear any malfunction, I close my eyes and I flinch. I bring my, my right shoulder up to my face and I close my eyes. I'm running around the car and I'm racking the slide because I wholeheartedly believed I was going to hear bang. And then it was just, that was it. It was, it was over for me at that point. So at that time you thought that he was actually drawing down on yes. you. Okay. I got you. But, but in reality, he was actually going to the ground to attempt to, bludgeon my partner to death with the rifle um yeah i ran the complete circle of the car and in that time i pulled the last magazine in my mag pouch out shoved it in my gun racked the gun and came around the driver's side of the car to readdress the threat um and they were laying on the ground both of them as if he was he was laying on his right hand shoulder and my partner was laying on his left hand shoulder facing one another and were they like physically fighting at that moment? Yes. Yeah, they were physically fighting. Um, my partner was fighting over control of the rifle. He had 
his hand around the handguard and his other hand looked like it was pushing the, the barrel away from his face. They were probably about, they were probably about a full human's arm length away from each other. So they were still pretty close. Um, and I remember thinking, holy shit, I'm going to watch him point blank my partner in the face. Like, like I'm going to watch him smoke this guy in a second. So my only option in that point was to finish this fight, to eliminate the threat. Um, I, I wholeheartedly only have, I believe even now, I only remember shooting six rounds. Um, a lot of people talk about it as the mag dump. I don't remember that. Um, I remembered six rounds and actually I thought my gun malfunctioned because uh, I thought I limp wristed or something that caused it to like not rock the slide all the way back and carry another round. Because I believe my, my gun malfunctioned. I, did, I don't remember the slide locking back. But in the video, I come up on him and I shoot out the entire magazine at what I believe starts at about seven feet and closing in. Um, I shoot the whole magazine out and then I can tell immediately that that threat is no longer a threat. Um, and I begin scanning for other threats. I actually immediately pick her up across the street and the other guy up downrange, but she's in the street with her hands up. So I realize I don't have any ammo left in my gun. I drop my magazine on the ground. I realize there's nothing in my pouch. I go to the magazine, I dropped, it's empty. And there's actually, from what I believe was a magazine that fell out of my partner's mag pouch when he tripped and I picked it up, stuck it in my gun, <laughs> loaded, loaded my gun and, and continued work. I mean, um, and that consisted of giving my, my backup a tourniquet, handcuffing her because she was close enough and then calling the driver back to the scene so he could be detained and, um, while he was getting detained or before they got there to detain him, she told me that her baby was in the backseat. That is the first time I heard anything about a baby in the backseat. Wow. So I, che I checked on the baby and luckily I had not hit it when I fired rounds through the back window of the car because the rounds were, were very close. I mean, we're talking a foot or less. I would, I'd honestly probably say they were closer than that. Wow. So, um, I mean, that's the, that's the gist of the, of the shooting. I would like to, uh, I would like to commend you though. I mean, I don't know if any, I mean, that whole incident to take place, you having less than four years on the job and for you to handle yourself the way that you did. And, and there's guys that have 30 years on the job that wouldn't do as well as you did. So I first and foremost want to commend you even and your partner as well. Like you guys are fucking heroes. Uh, you did an amazing job. Um, yeah. So if anyone ever says anything different, they're, they're pretty full of shit. Your sheriff, um, I, uh, he's, uh, I don't even know him, but I love the guy. Like he's, uh, that's, uh, that's what we all need everywhere. Um, he calls me regularly and checks up on me. I mean, I, I, like I told you uh, a couple, uh, before we started this, um, he called me two days ago and we're, 23 days in or 24 days in since the shooting. And, and he has called me probably 15 times. Um, I actually took a trip up after my shooting. I took a trip up to visit my family. Uh, they live up North in, uh, in Tennessee. And uh, I took a trip up there to visit them because I mean, obviously my parents are a disaster. I called my Sergeant cause he was like the only person I trusted on scene. Uh, I called him on scene, sitting in the car or sitting in another deputy's car and said, Hey, I, 
I was just in shooting. I need you. And I need my, he's actually one of my best friends. I told him, I was like, I need you to bring my, my best friend down here. Who's another deputy who works for us. And then I immediately called my fiance who um, we had found out three weeks before the shooting that she was pregnant. Um, so yikes on that. Yeah. yeah. Um, Cause there was a news helicopter on scene already. I mean, within 10 minutes of it being over, there's a news helicopter already there. They were already up in the air, I assume. Um, so I knew it was going to be out fast. Um, and she knew where I was working that day. So she was either going to know it was me or think it was me. And that's stress she doesn't need while being pregnant. Yeah, no so doubt, man. I called her and I remember the exact words I said to her on the phone was, Hey babe, I've been in a shooting. I'm okay. I'm, I, I'm not going to the hospital. There's another deputy involved. He is hurt, but he is going to be okay. I have command staff on scene. I can't say much else. I will call you as soon as I can. I, I couldn't go into grave detail because I was in a car that was audio recorded at the time. I, and, and my biggest advice, this advice that was given to me is for anybody that's been involved in shooting or, or, or you realize you've just been involved in one, shut up. Don't say anything to anyone. <laughs> Keep your mouth shut. Because you're going to remember things, like I was explaining before, that are so vastly different than what actually happened. Yeah, I, I, I've, I've never been involved in this situation, yeah. but to see, like, just to hear you talk about the, the huge difference from what you thought was going on to when you watch the video and, and it's completely yeah. not, well, not completely different, but it's, it's vastly yeah. different from what you exactly yeah. remember. Um, I I remembered him pointing the gun at me, but, um, but um, I don't, I mean, that was, that was, I don't know if that was right, if it was wrong, if it was indifferent, um, but that's what I remembered. I remembered him running up the passenger side of or the driver's side of his car, but that's not what happened. I remember when he ran down the front of my car and his car, I remember, I don't remember him cutting in between the cars really. Um, it's weird. It, it's more so coming back now a month later, <laughs> but I don't, I, at the time I didn't remember it that way. It was weird. So it's, it, it changes, it changes in your memory. I don't remember shooting almost if I did shoot three full magazines, that means I shot 46 rounds in 38 seconds with two reloads, two max changes and 46 rounds in 38 to 48 seconds, roughly. Um, it's more than a round a second. That's uh, that's impressive. Even if not, if you're not putting rounds on target, just to get that many rounds off and in a controlled environment, not even with accuracy, just we, to, you take shoot that many rounds that fast. is pretty, pretty amazing. We hit, we hit him several times. I know that. Um, we hit him more than 15 times. I'll, I will say that. Um, so he, he was hit quite a few times. Um, the one thing I actually forgot to say is, is the, the female passenger told me that he was on Molly at one point, uh, while I was talking to her. So I don't know if the drugs correlate to how much he was able <clears throat> to handle and continue moving and doing those things. Um, I don't, I don't know enough about, I'm not a doctor. I'll just go right right. there. I'm not a doctor, so I don't know. Um, but it it felt like he was pretty unstoppable. Um, it felt like a, some of those shots I fired, the three at the back of my car, felt like there's no possible way they could have missed at the range they would have been at. Um, I mean, I, the guy the guy was just continuing on like a machine. It felt like so, it was in the video was absolutely insane. So yeah. Let's decompress a little bit, and then uh, absolutely. let's just talk about it a little bit. So I, I heard that you said that your dad was a cop. Yeah, yeah, my dad right was on. a 25-year uh, cop in Florida. Uh, okay. He's a 
been there, done that kind of guy, um, proactive like me. Um, and now he lives in Tennessee. Yep. Retired and went off to nowhere land to, to live <laughs> in the mountains by, by himself and have very few neighbors. So yeah, that's a nice retirement. It's always um, the dream. So prior to you being the police, um, guns, like, was that like a hobby of yours or did yes. you not? Okay. Yeah, um, I grew up shooting. Yes. I'll say that. So yeah. you, yeah, that makes more sense mm-hmm. to me just based on seeing the video. Um, and then before we even talk about some pros, cons and uh, pre and post training type stuff, your dad had like, uh, having a dad as in law enforcement, were you, do you think you're more prepared for something like this? Just having that, like growing up with that environment, like knowing that this is always a possibility um, than, than just having four years on the job, knowing it's a possibility. No, I was delusional. I, I mean, I'll be straight with it. I was delusional. I thought it would never be me. I mean, we, I think we all, I, I think we all do that though. We all think that we all hear that. We all hear that percentage, three, 3% of cops, 3% of cops get in shootings or less or something like that. And I think in today's society, it's more than that. Um, I don't, I don't know for certain. I haven't looked the statistic up. Um, I will definitely say I, I, I used to think that statistic was, Oh yeah. 3% of cops. That, that can't be me. Yeah. Like a lot of us have that mindset. That, that'll never be me. Um, now, mind you, a lot of things I did was very proactive. A lot of traffic stops, um, a lot of making contact with people walking down the street, riding bicycles, um, in our area, things like that. Um, I've arrested, I think I told you my first large arrest, uh, I arrested a guy with 133 grams of fentanyl and uh, a bunch of um, uh, cocaine and weed. And I think a totality of the, the drug weight to combine was a, was almost uh, right around a quarter kilo. Um, I felt like if I was going to get into shooting, it should have been there. I mean, Jesus, these, these guys had $40,000 worth of dope in the car and they just didn't, they didn't put up any fight. They went in handcuffs compliantly for the most part. I mean, one of them was a little bit of a jerk, but, but, you know, I went through, I went through my career skirting by never, never getting in anything. I mean, I, I've been in, I've been in some crazy fights. I got in a foot pursuit with a guy that was twice my two, two and a half, half times my body weight and got in a physical fight with him and wasn't winning. <laughs> He's like six foot, <laughs> six foot four, 300 pounds. I mean, and I've, I've skirted by of not getting hurt in these cases. Um, I tased that guy and took him into took him into custody by myself before my backup arrived. You know, I I've been lucky. So I think the problem was that I've been so lucky I'd almost become complacent. I, th- I mean, based on the video, it doesn't look like there's much complacency involved in either of you guys. Like, I- not there. I the traffic stop before that, I was complacent okay. because I pulled her over. She was like this old lady kind of. I say old lady. But Sorry for anyone listening. She's probably in like her fifties. She's an older lady. Yeah, she's <laughs> she's very respectful. Um, I know it's not the stop I want, so I'm just waiting for the stop to be done. Like I'm, I'm waiting to kind of be like, "All right, yeah, great. Hey, let's see you. See you later." You know what I mean? I'm complacent on it, and then my very next stop, I'm in a shooting. Yeah, and how much time is in between that? Five minutes, six minutes, three minutes, Gosh, or less. Crazy minutes i mean we're talking we're talking single digit minutes um the one thing i'll say is me and my buddy the guy who came down to sit with me with my shooting um me and him had talked the night before on the phone he works night shift i work days now um and i was going home he was coming in and we were talking on the phone about actually a very similar scenario what we would do 
if somebody presented a gun to us on a traffic stop and it was like, oh shit, what do I do? You know, like, uh, and so we had talked about it 24 hours before, actually less than that, probably 19 hours before the shooting. We had that conversation of, well, this is what I do. This would be my plan. I, I do X, Y, and Z. Um, that, yeah, that, that, none of that, none, none of that, <laughs> literally none of it happened. Um, and, you know, we think we all think we're, we're the best in the world. We all think we're, you know, Wyatt Earp of, of the common generation, but it, it really goes out the window pretty quick. And, and, you know, I, I sit at my house and I drive my fiance absolutely insane. I do dry fires. I draw my gun consistently. I do mag change drills at home because I can't afford to shoot because bullets are so damn expensive. Um, I sit there and I work with what I have. Um, do you think that, do you think that helped you tremendously during this? I think, I think doing that's probably the reason that I had no issues with mag changes, which is a very common issue. And I mean, at least that's what we're told. It's a common issue, uh, in shootings, your fine motor skills go. And then the one thing that requires fine motor skills is reloading your gun. You know, we, I, I've heard countless stories of cops that get killed with an empty gun. And yeah. that scared that scares the shit out of me. Um, so that's why I do it. I sit at home and I'm like, I have to be able to do this under stress. So I need my body to know what it needs to do. We should. We all should. Uh, we all should be very uh, like. We should. I mean, yes, it should scare us all, but we all should be very mindful of that. And that's something that I think yeah. that, that that you know, cops dying with an empty gun that would be a uh, that'd be next to like drowning, like knowing that you just had to swim to right here to get air. Yep. I, I can imagine like looking at my gun, knowing it's empty and knowing that that's going to be the last thing I see that, uh, yeah, I think we all should be to help. Yeah. I couldn't imagine, man. That's a feeling. It's a feeling knowing I just heard my gun go click and I know it's not going to go bang until I finish what I have to do. And there's a, there's a, a, a time limit on that. And knowing that at any moment in time, if this guy's gun does go off, it's, it's a chance that I'm, that's it. That's a, I yeah, I, I think I think the way you explain it is drowning is, is right there. I mean, yeah, like you know, like you know, like if I could just get to right here, I can get a breath there, I can just live like a little I bit can, more. I just yeah. live a little more. Yeah. So I have my own opinion on this and uh I'll tell you mine, but you are a good communicator. You and your both partner are both. Do you think that there's anything that you could have done to communicate your way out of that? No, I I completely agree. There, there, he, it, I, I don't see a way out of that situation where he doesn't do what he does. I don't see it. No, I could, I could see um, it being worse if you guys were not as, uh, didn't have the ability to communicate from the get go. Like if you guys were dicks or something, I almost wonder if it would have happened from the get go, but you guys were able to talk about it. And like with that car, you were able to talk with the occupants and you weren't an asshole. You weren't abrasive. And, and that probably prolonged the incident from happening and gave you better odds. But I don't think that there was a way out of that traffic stop without that guy doing what he did. No, I don't think so either. Um, and it's actually something I thought about with it. Had she have told me there was a gun in the car, had she have told me this guy's plan? Because I, I wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly believe this is a plan from the get go. Um, you know, I, I thought to myself, had I have known, uh, could I have gotten my patrol rifle out of my front seat? Could I have gotten out, out a long gun and, and set it up like a felony traffic stop and we could have called him back to us or waited for more deputies, things like that. Um, but I still think he'd have come out 
doing what he was going to do because uh, with his history, with his criminal history, he was going to prison probably for the rest of his life. I mean, there was there was no way that we were going to see him walking around as a free man, at least for the rest of my career, which is 26 more years. I don't think we were going to see him again anytime soon. And I think he knew that. Especially um, with the drugs that in his system too, he's probably not thinking that. I mean, either way, he's not thinking rationally, but I'm sure that didn't help yeah. him try to have any rational thought at that point. Yeah. And I, I truly think, I truly think he, he had made the decision of, of back to the old, back to the old movie of, of we're handling court in the streets, you know, yeah. either, either I'm dying or I'm leaving here. Um, it, it's, it's no in between. And, and he really forced that. Unfortunately, um, he kind of made that a very real thing. So it's, it's but, wild, but. Did the other occupants cooperate with anything afterwards or are they. Do you think yeah. that they had any knowledge that this was going to take place, or do you think that it was more an impulse decision on him? If you can talk about that, I don't know if you can or can't. No, um, I don't know. Uh, as of right now, I, I can't say much about what the criminal case is. Um, they cooperated with me completely on scene, though. When I called them back to the scene, they came back to the scene. Um, mind you, I don't know if that had something to do with watching me just shoot somebody and then um, pointing a gun at them, too. So I don't know if that was part of it or if they were just... I'm sure that had some... Yeah, I mean, either way, it worked, little, it worked little out. Pers- little persuasive, maybe, but yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, they came back. She she compliantly handcuffed. She didn't give me any issues. Um, there was there was really not a lot there, like in the sense of combativeness. Um, but the one thing I'll say is, we had a large number of people calling nine one one, telling our dispatchers, "Hey, there's mind you, they thought we were state troopers." Um, saying there's troopers in a gunfight. They described it not as a shooting, but as a gunfight. So, several people described it as a gun battle. Um, wow. They were describing this as like, th- not, not hey, these cops shot somebody. It, w- it was, hey, these cops are in a gunfight. Like, th- you know, um, I had at least three, maybe four civilians run up on scene with me afterwards and ask us, what can I do to help you? What, That's an amazing how feeling, can though. Help? Um, and, and I couldn't, I still hadn't quite handcuffed the, the female or the, the male at that point, but I had a guy run up and tell me, what can I do? And I, and I'd handed my tourniquet to my backup and I said, help him put this on his leg. I, I need you to do that because I would become very aware of the amount of time that had gone by. Um, and we all know the, the, the time frame. you get shot in the leg, you bleed out fast. Um, if you're unlucky, I should say, but yeah, it, was, it was something we weren't, I wasn't willing to risk. I'm sorry for his luck. This turn, turn gets going to suck going on, but yeah, you know, no you doubt. may not die. Um, and mind you, had I have known it was just an ankle shot and seeing how little he was bleeding from the ankle, it had been one thing. The one thing that did scare me very badly was how badly he was bleeding from his head because he was bleeding horrendously. I mean, it was, is that from the, the rifle? Yeah. From getting struck over the head so many times. Um, and I didn't know if he had gotten shot in the head. I didn't know if one of my rounds had gone through this guy and hit the ground and fragmented into him. I, I mean, I didn't know. It was it was like if you turned the shower on and you stood there in the water that runs down your face. It was, I mean, it was pooling underneath him very quickly. Um, he, uh, I saw a photo of him. He looked pretty amazing, though. I mean, it, like going yeah. through all that, he still looked like he was doing. Uh, he's, he's in good shape. So, and and everything is good with him. Yeah. Yeah. And like so. His injuries aren't going to be detrimental long term. And yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Good. Nope. Nope. He's, he's going to recover whether or not he comes back to the road. And I've said this, you know, anybody um, in our shoes, 
anybody going forward, anyone, whether it be me, be him. I, I mean, I've already returned to patrol. I've been back on the road for two days and now I'm in a class right now, but um, I wholeheartedly plan to, to return um, as long as I can. Um, but my mentality is at the point that I realize I'm no longer capable, uh, whether it's be out of fear or anything like that, I'll, I'll hang up the badge and I'll go home. And, you know, I, I, and I don't think if anybody, if anybody, my opinion is if anyone can sit there and, and, you know, shame me for that, then, you know, tough on you guy. I, I, I think that's one thing that a lot of people need to realize more of, if you're not capable of doing the job, you shouldn't do the job. I think that you and your partner, no matter what you decide, I think it would be, it's beneficial to the law enforcement community to have you guys involved, but no matter what you already did your time, even though it was four years or less, like, but any other officer in those same shoes would not be, um, I think is, is doing, I don't see a lot of guys doing as well as you guys are like mentally and, and yeah. physically and just, uh, personality, emotionally, all that stuff. I think you guys are looking well, doing well. Yeah. Um, I said the one thing for me is I'm not, I actually slept great the first night. I've slept great every night. I haven't lost sleep. I'm not having nightmares. I'm not having flashbacks. I don't really, I, I would not say I have PTSD at this moment. Um, and it's the one thing I do want to, I, I did want to touch on was, you know, people need to understand, I, I refuse to continue to perpetuate the issue with our career where people shame people for getting help. Um, oh, yeah. It's out there and we know it. Um, I, I've wholeheartedly said to discussion of how my fiance, um, she's, 24 i'm 28 we're both young um there's a very good chance in six years six months hell six days i could have some form of ptsd i refuse to be that cop that doesn't get help because i want to look like the bigger man and then i come home and i ruin my marriage or yep. my kid that's on the way i torment my kid because i have some crazy issues so my thing is you know if anyone that goes through this or anyone who's been through this or anyone who's in these shoes it, it it's not shameful to get help it's not and you no, should be ashamed of it I, I i completely agree and i think that uh with the stuff that dennis is doing with street cop partnering with some of the, the amazing doctors that he has I, I think that that is the right step i know i've been a cop for uh, i'll start my 15th year in october and i've never been an incident like that but i've had an incident that i feel comfortable talking with now that um i had someone die um that i was dealing with and it messed with me. It was a, uh, it was a younger gentleman and it messed with me for a long time. And, um, I, I, at the time I was approaching certain people within my agency, uh, and I wasn't getting anything. They were literally like, like, like telling me the same stuff, like tough enough, blah, blah, blah. Um, and thank God I have a buddy that is a, a clinical doctor and he, he is a psychologist and, and I was able to talk to him. And I think that the ability to for me personally, what helped me a lot was me being ha having the ability to talk about the incident and talk about it and feel comfortable talking about it. And then I'm not thinking about it. And right after that incident and after everything was laid out, when, when I was reaching out to you, that was the main reason I wanted to talk to you just because you read my class. We have a rapport. And I think that the ability to communicate and get that stuff out of here and out here and freely talk about that in the open, I think that is better for our mind forever when when it comes to these i saw a stat the other day one of my uh can i buddies sent it to me and i think it was the average person has one to two critical incidences in a lifetime and a cop has either it was like two or eight hundred yeah. in a career in a 20-year career so we're talking about people and just citizens that have one or two major critical incident 
for their entire life. And we're seeing, I think it's, I think it was 800 within a 20 year career. Like I can't imagine like what goes on in our brains. Like we, we, we suppress a lot of stuff as cops. We do do that. And, and I know that, but I think these types of incidents, like we need to talk about them, feel comfortable talking about them. And if we're having any issues, the ability to address those without any type of repercussion from anyone else, uh, but especially other law enforcement officers. I think that is the, uh, that's the way of the past. And, and I, I hate it. Um, I don't like it. I'm completely on the same page with you. Um, I, I don't, that's an unnecessary thing within the law enforcement community. And I think that that has gone by the wayside for the most part. When I see, I don't see a lot of places that are shaming people that are having those types of issues or anything. And, and God forbid, if they are, they are, they're ass backwards and they need a lot of help. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I say, I mean, look at look at this. I mean, we, we perpetuate the, the, the career um, of going to the gym, eating properly, doing all these things, taking care of your body. But at the same time of doing all that, you need to take care of your mind too, is my mentality. Um, we are going to see things that are jacked up. I have been to plenty of calls where there's been infants that have, that have died or, or been, you know, drowned, things like that. Um, and, I, and I'll say they, they never really bothered me to begin with. I have my own kid on the way now. I, the next one of those that I go to, I don't know how I'm going to react. Um, cause that's now a fear for me. Um, it wasn't yeah. a fear for me before I, I had no connection to it. I couldn't connect to it. I didn't know what it was like to have a kid. I still really don't. I know what it's like to have a kid on the way and I never wanted kids. I, I'll be straight, but I never wanted kids. I have a kid on the way now and I'm so excited. It's, it is like, I can't explain that feeling knowing that in six more months, I'm going to have a, I'm going to have a miniature me running around. That's exciting as hell to me. That's so amazing. Now, I have this connection now that these are the things that people go through and you have to be able to talk to somebody about it, whether it's your, your friends, your coworkers, somebody in your circle or outside of your circle, or, you know, a, a doctor or somebody, you have to be able to talk about it. Um, so, and I think that's the thing, just people need to understand you, you have to talk about it, Yep. but we also have to worry about the people in our lives that are here. Like my fiance handled it really well. Um, Jordan is, is tough as they come when it comes to a lot of things. Um, this, I didn't expect her to handle as well as she did. She has actually sat down and watched the video um, because she had questions that couldn't really be answered without her seeing it. So she, she opted to watch it. Um, it was horrible for her the first time. She so watched how, it. Yeah. how did she handle that? See, I, I couldn't imagine. Horrible. I mean, yep. she, she cried instantly. Yeah. Um, hearing me shout on the radio that or shots fired rifle. Um, cause those are the words I use. I wanted anyone coming to know we're in a gunfight with a rifle. Um, cause in the back of my mind, I didn't expect to walk away. I wanted, so I wanted the people coming to know what they're driving up on. What are, what are they responding to? Um, and actually because of the way people were on the radio, it actually didn't even get out on the radio because people were talking over us on the radio um stuff like that but can i say i, I don't want to cut off your story but uh you have that like the i hate radio communication um and if i if, if someone listens to podcast like i literally i absolutely hate it i hate it i hate it but like when shit like that happens like if you have five thousand cops just fucking go like you yeah. listen to the they people that need the airways and just fucking go they didn't know exactly what we were in yet um I had actually keyed up on the radio. I just did a quick key up to try and, um, mind you, 
I didn't think to hit our red button, our 1024s. We call it our panic. Like button. Mandela, I, yeah. I didn't think to hit that button. Um, so I hit a quick key up just thinking dispatch is about to hear a shitload of gunshots. She'll know what's going on, but I don't know if it didn't come through properly. So she actually asked us to repeat our traffic mm. and we were in, we were in the middle of, uh, I, I mean, I couldn't key up. So I tried to then respond, but it was over maybe 20 seconds, 10 seconds later. Um, so a bunch of people were like, Hey, I'm on the way until, until they advise things like that. Well, I'm coming from here here and here i'm gonna be on the way as well and and those two radio traffics unfortunately were perfectly timed that right as i reached up to hit mine is when they started talking and it yeah. the timing was just so perfect so that's frustrating though like that's your lifeline yeah. and i yeah i guess I, I guess i get it they just hear a click and they don't know what the fuck's going on and they're everyone's yeah. saying that makes that's a little different yeah but maybe you got out that their shots were fired and everyone's talking yeah, i'm like yeah. uh, um Let's go back yeah. to Fonte though, real quick, if you don't mind. I, I didn't want to interrupt you, but no, you're good. And and how is she now with everything? Like, she's she's better. Um, so there was a very serious concern for me. I was ready to go back to work. I mean, the I I was off work for 15 days. So for anybody in our career that you guys, uh, I'm sure the same way I am. I like to have a schedule. Everything goes on schedule. Everything is is it happens according to this plan. So when the plan got pulled out from under me like a rug, I was like, okay, what do I do now? Like, I'm not being told where to be, when to be there. Um, they gave me a gun. They didn't give me a car. They, <laughs> I'm like, I, what, what am I supposed to do? I like, I don't know. So I'm waiting to get this interview done. And my interview doesn't happen until not that, that coming Thursday, but the following Thursday. My interview didn't happen for 11 days or something wow. like that. It was actually really, really long. So until my interview happened, we couldn't do anything else. So I went to my interview and then I had to wait till the next Tuesday to go to my psyche eval to then have to go to the range and qualify. We tried to get it all crammed into that Tuesday so that I could go back to work that Wednesday. So I was so ready to go back to work. And that's all I could think about was, oh my God, I, just, I need to get back. I have to get my schedule back and all these things. Mind you, I was kind of worried in the back of my mind of what's going to happen the first day I put that green uniform back on for her, not for me, but for her. I mean, I was worried about me too. Like, Ooh, shit. When I, when I get in my patrol car, what's going to happen? How am I going to feel driving down the road in a patrol car again? And my Joe's getting the same patrol car back. He never shot my patrol car. That's crazy. It's wild. Yeah. I was getting my same car back too, which kind of almost made it even weirder for me. I'm getting back in the exact same car. I was just in 15 days ago that I was just in a shooting with. Like yeah. it was such a weird thing for me. Um, but it actually turned out to be fine for me, but I was worried about her. My first day back, I didn't have my patrol car. So I actually, I feel bad for her. I had to wake her up and have her ride with me to work in our personal vehicle. So I could get dropped off to be driven up to pick up my patrol car because we couldn't get it in time to get it to my house and things like that. So I think that was good for her. She had to ride me for 45 minutes on the way to work because I live, I live a little ways out of zone. And um, so it wasn't like, a, all right, honey, I'm ready for work. Bye. And just walk out the door and that's it. You know, she rode me for 45 minutes. We talked um, the whole time. We got there and we separated our, our ways, you know, did our goodbye, hugs, kiss, and went on our way. And then the next day I went to work, I was leaving from the house and that day was a little different. Um, 
So I think she's she's going to have a, a more fear, and that's something that I have to be understand. Yeah, that's understandable, and and that's I, like for us, like me, like uh, we talk about it, but like literally, like me going to work is like my favorite hobby. Like it really is. Like oh, yeah. so, like, like now, if I was in in that incident, I'm sure you're very similar. Like now, all of a sudden, you take that away from me. Like I have other things I don't like. I, you know what I'm saying? Like, but that is a good like me just working is a, a mental way for me to like clear things out of my mind. Yeah. But then when I look at your wife or your fiance and I'm sick, uh, like that is probably all she thinks about for those 12 hours is like the last time, you know what I'm saying? The last time you were at work, what happened? And, and I yeah. think that as guys and as cops, we kind of suppress that. And I'm sure that it's different for her where she's, she can't do that. Like the, the mentality is just different. Yeah. Um, no, she's actually really great. I mean, even for the first portion of us talking, she was sitting here with me for a little bit. Um, she's, moved on to different things now, but, but she sat here for a little bit just to kind of be kind of there to, to hear the conversation, hear where things were going and stuff like that. Um, we used to watch, um, officer involved shooting videos and, and talk about them and stuff like that. She can't watch them now. She has, she has openly said, I was watching one actually on the couch last night. I was just kind of watching it just to see, um, things, learn things, pick things up. And I'm an idiot. I looked at her. I was like, I was like, went to say something about it. She's like, I, I can't, I can't watch that now. Not after yours. And I was like, that's fair. I understand. But we're so used to, we talk about work. We talk about work all the time. I talk about my job. She talks about her job. We, we try to stay connected for that portion. When we first get home, we share what happened that day. I mean, there's some stuff I don't share, obviously that's just is what it is, but we share for the most part, everything. Um, like I try to keep the, the more horrible details away yep. that way yep. she doesn't worry. But, um, and then we're like the type that we sit on the couch and binge watch movies together and stuff like that. I mean, it's just, that's, that's who we are. So now it almost makes me not want to talk about work with her. Cause I don't want to add the stress, you know? So it's weird. It, it, it's going to change the dynamic of people's lives. Um, about but I think that it, the, I think in time that, that ability for you to communicate with her just about the day and maybe not yeah. like the, the, you know, like, the so then maybe, she, yeah, maybe she'll be able to come back to it and be like, yeah. okay, it's, this is a once, not kind of a once in a lifetime fucking thing. And, yeah. you know, we're back to the, the normal things where, you know, he's finding dope and guns and everything goes very smoothly. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then, weird thing. Yeah, of course. It's all good. It's all good. We're almost done. I have one. I talked about your dad and your little bit of your background. Uh, we talked about post, how you're dealing with it. Is there any, like, uh, training-wise, like, does Academy help you out? Is there anything, like, um, anything along those lines that you think that prepared you for that day or that you could, or that you could have done differently to prepare yourself for that day or that instant? Um, the only thing I would really say is, is shooting more often. I think would have been a big, would have been a big help. Um, what's your department, what's your department quals or like, do you have like a combat training days or we qualify every year for our state qualification and then once, yep. Once a year. And then we have open range days where you can go to the range every, every so often and and shoot. Um, I think they typically try to do about one a month. Um, but if you're at work that day, you're kind of boned, it's got to be on your day off type thing. Um, and then you could drive your patrol vehicle out there and do stuff like that. But they also put on some tactical classes and stuff here and there. Um, but the ammo shortage hit law enforcement just as hard as it hit, you know, the civilian yep. world. Um, things like that. 
So we as an agency try to train, but what I have to say to people is you have to take it upon yourself too. Um, if you know you're, you're, you have a deficit in certain areas, you have to, you, you have to take that upon yourself. It's your life. Like Dennis says, you have to invest in yourself. Every, every street cop training class I've been to, I paid for myself. I paid for Dennis's. I paid for yours. I'm actually going to one on Monday. I paid for that one. Um, I, I wholeheartedly believe in investing in yourself across the board, whether it's, it's shooting, uh, going to schools, um, doing all these things. If, if you're not getting them, you have to find a way to be successful. And, and that was the one thing I took very seriously was being successful in this career. So yeah, I, no, no doubt about it. Like training wise, like, and I, I completely agree. Like, and then I look at it, like if you do pay for yourself to go training, like, and, you, and say like, I don't know how big your department is, but you want to be assigned to a specific, uh, like unit or promotion wise, if you have all this training, even though you pay out of pocket, it shows dedication and, and that you're trying to better yourself and which is in turn bettering the agency that you work for. So training wise, I think that, yeah, I think you're 100% on par with that, 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 it, um, continued training is an absolute necessity. Firearms is your lifeline. You have to shoot. I'm not a big, I, I'll be honest. I, I, I was, I loved shooting. I went, I was on the SWAT team for five years and they, I shot so much that I fucking hate it now, but I still go to the range more than most. And I said, I don't even enjoy it. I'm like, yeah. Fuck, I gotta be here for an hour. Then like five years ago, I fucked or 10 years ago, I fucking loved it. And then being on the SWAT team, they like, they took that away from me. I don't enjoy it anymore, but I still know like if, if I was to get hurt on the job and I know that I could have done something better to prevent that, I couldn't live with myself. Like I would be, I would be very, uh, I, yeah, I would be yeah. upset with myself. And I think that, that, I think you have a very similar mentality. And I think that that's kind of maybe why you, you invest in yourself and come to classes and how we connect it. I don't know. Yeah. I, and my thing is like, like you said, you know, um, it, it's and like Dennis says, it's investing in yourself. It's, it's taking training seriously. I can go sit in a classroom. I can pay the $200 and I can stare at the wall and get a certificate to turn in and learn nothing. But, what does that do for me? Right. Um, you, you have to take this job seriously. And like Dennis says, you know, if you're, if you're delusional about the fact this job can take your life, it can, it can happen in any moment. It can be any traffic stop. It can be any person. It can be any 911 call. You could uh, walk into a gas station and get shot because someone's robbing the gas station and you meandered in, they're not paying attention. I mean, my opinion is if you're in uniform, you need to pay attention. You have to be on your A-game. Um, and this this more than ever has just re-snapped me back to that reality so so abruptly that if complacency was ever a thing in my vocabulary, I don't know that it ever will be again. I, I don't know that I could ever reach complacency again. No, no, and that, yeah, that's I mean, but that's understandable. And yeah. and hopefully everyone listening doesn't have to go through that incident to understand how how complacency can get you in a very bad situation. Yeah. Um, but I, I truly want to thank you and, and your partner. Uh, you guys are amazing. You're heroes. I truly, truly uh, appreciate you coming on here. And, and even if it's just one guy like or one cop listens and it's triggers something that prevents them from getting hurt or getting involved in the situation, uh, I, I truly appreciate you coming on and being open about this and talking about it. It did. It, um, yeah. And I mean, I, you're doing great things. I mean, you look good. You, you sound good. You sound like you're, you're all there, but, yeah. um, so I appreciate it. And then, uh, 
I'll close this out and then just hang out for a second. All right. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you guys for listening. This is Kate from Street Cop. And then, uh, yeah, this is a, a good uh, end to the podcast. Thank you, Talia, for being with me. Thank you. All right, then.